know, for the last few weeks, we've been studying this new life that we have in Christ. And during this time, we've seen some of the things that Colossians 3 says to us have to change in our lives as we go forward with Christ. Now, you may remember from last week that one of the things that came out of that was an analogy that emerged to illustrate what this life kind of looked like. And it had to do with taking off clothes to put on new clothes. You know, you lay aside some things that are no longer a part of your life and you pick up some things that kind of go along with the new life, just like you would take off old sweaty clothes before you get cleaned up for dinner. You don't put them back on once you're clean. It, it just doesn't make sense. You need clean body, you get clean clothes. That's how it works. And in the same way with the Christian life, when you come to Christ, there's this change that takes place in your life from the inside of your life. And chapter three says that it starts with a mindset. Do you remember that? It said that it starts with you uh, thinking differently about some things in your life. And once you start to think differently about some things in your life, it changes from an earthly perspective into a heavenly perspective. Our minds, as they start thinking differently, lead our bodies to start acting differently. And remember that we said the Christian life has to do so much with correct thinking if we're going to be in correct living. That, that, that's really vital for us to understand. And this leads us to consider some things that used to be very normal to us, now we consider them abnormal. So it used to be that we, we used to feel very comfortable living lives in immorality, but that can't be normal anymore. We were fine with impurity, but it's not normal anymore. We would even say, you know, passions, evil desires, lust of the flesh, greed, all that was normal, but that's part of the old life and it can't go forward with us into the new life. And our actions changed and so our attitudes changed and our interactions with people changed. We talked about that last week. You know, no longer are we able to talk to people the same way. We, we can't hold these attitudes in our lives of, of anger and malice and, and just being upset with people and speaking to them slanderously or maliciously or, or speaking to them with abusive language. It just doesn't work for us. And you remember that last week, the key illustration that emerged for us was one of renovation. And we talked about that once we're saved, there's a renovation taking place from the inside out in our lives. And here's what happens. That renovation may not look that different on the outside all of a sudden. I mean, you, you don't see a house completely change from the outside, even though they may be doing a lot of work on the inside. But once you have a new stove, you don't keep the old stove. You don't say, well, let's just set that in a corner for the backup. You throw all that stuff out. All of that stuff has to go away. There's no empty space that isn't being filled by Christ in our lives now that we're in him. And so as the old has passed away, we learned that the new has come. Now, when we replace immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, racism, when we replace those things, we replace them with something, the marks of a godly life. So I want you to look in your Bibles this morning at Colossians 3, and we're going to be uh, in verse 12 just to start off, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Uh, the main focus of our text will be 14, 15, and 16, and the reason is is because we've actually already studied Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. And we did that on Mother's Day, May the 12th. So if you weren't here and you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and look at it on online or you can download the podcast of that and catch back up with that. But we've kind of already looked at this, but I want us to see it for just a moment because it sets what is to be replaced in our lives as we're getting rid of this old stuff. Let's read verse 12 together. So as those of you who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, Kindness, humility, 
gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So you see these new things that are defining your life, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. This is a list that is completely opposite of everything you've just gotten rid of, right? Everything that you've just gotten rid of had to deal with you and being selfish and and you experiencing things that made you feel good and happy. Now we're thinking about other people and we're allowing some things to be replaced in our lives with some good things. And what happens is these things used to be totally foreign to us, but now that we're in Christ, they're the new life emerging. And the longer we walk with Christ, And remember we talked about not protesting to the change that needs to take place in our life. We need to let the Holy Spirit do that. The longer that we do that, this becomes more and more comfortable and dare I even say normal, right? I mean, it becomes a little bit more normative for us. And so what happens for the Christian is that you start to say, even when the situation's difficult, I'm going to yield to this and let the love of Christ come out in this way. I'll forgive someone. And in fact, maybe I'll forgive them in spite of the difficulty. Maybe I'll forgive them in such a way that it will exhibit the fact that that Christ has changed something in my life. Now, I want you to read this next verse with me. Read verse 14. Beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, the translation that we're reading is the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It says beyond. Your Bible may say Uh, above all of these things put on love, but it means that all of the other characteristics that we just read, compassion, kindness, humility, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, it's saying they're important, but love is actually what holds or binds them all together. And you might think of it like this. The other characteristics listed really are like an expression of love, and love is that thing that binds them together. When Paul wrote the Galatian church, He listed some things that needed to change in their lives, similar to what he wrote in this book to the Colossian church. But then he started with new things and he said, get rid of those things and you need to let the fruit of the spirit come out in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He led with love. When he wrote the Corinthian church, as he talked about that love chapter in chapter 13, he says, you have all of these things and faith, hope, and love are really important. And the greatest of these things is what? It's love. It's the the heart of love. But what he's doing for us is allowing us to see that all of these things are bound together by love. You clean out this old stuff, you lay it aside, and it's kind of like this. It's like you get up in the morning and you you start putting on your undergarments, your socks, your pants, maybe a t-shirt, maybe you put something on over top of it, and then you bind it all together with a belt, right? It's all held together with a belt. Or we think about the Bible being 66 books that are bound together. It's cohesive. It has a book binding together. That's what he's saying love has to do in our lives. So if you can imagine it like that, then you can begin to see that this isn't something that's like sentimental. Like, oh man, I really love you, bro. Love you, man. What does that mean? Express it to me. What what does it mean? How can you express that you love someone in the body of Christ? Well, he's already showed you how. Compassion, kindness, forgiveness, those things start coming out of your life. And if you think that that you can understand it this way, I think this will maybe help us too. When God wanted to demonstrate his love for us, he didn't just say, I love you. He did something about it. He sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. And when Jesus died in our place, 
He was demonstrating the love of the Father. He was demonstrating his own love towards us. He's given us forgiveness. So we understand from the book of 1 John 4, 19 that if we really want to love and understand love, it only can come when we realize that we've been loved. We love because he first loved us. Now that means that we're reflections of love, doesn't it? It means that everywhere that we go, we're reflecting the love that we have in the Father. And because we are now loved and know that we are loved, we're able to love everybody around us. And this love binds the characteristics around our heart and allows us to lead with love everywhere we go. You're able to lead with love at school, at home, at work. You're able to walk into a room and literally change the temperature of that room, not only by the demonstration of what you say, and it should be different, the words that come out of your mouth should be different, but also the way that you act, the way that you love. And I believe this is one of the greatest tests that we face every day. And it's really a test of whether or not we're living by the spirit or the flesh. It's love. If you're living by the spirit, it comes out. If you're constantly thinking of yourself, it means you're not leading with love. And when we're leading with love, it means that we're kind and compassionate. Now, at this point, I want you to notice something because there's a little bit of a subtle shift within the text. And you may remember that I said last week, all of these issues we're putting away are for Christians. He's speaking to the body of Christ. But, but it's a little bit lost on us because of the way that we translate something. We're being told not to live like pagans anymore because we're in Christ and that this change in our soul demands something new. But what isn't noticeable immediately to us in the English language is the way that he uses the word your. It's, it's second person plural. English doesn't have a great way of expressing that. Uh, if, you're, you know, if you tried to do that, you would say maybe like, you all need to do that. Or if you're from the north, you'd say, you guys, right? I mean, you'd say something like that. Uh, or if you're from the south, you just say, y'all, right? You don't get to the you all, it's y'all. If you're from East Tennessee, you say Ewans, but that's another thing. Uh, don't, 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 you just want to leave that one alone. Y'all is acceptable. And if you think about it, the reason that he's using the second person plural is because he's trying to write to this group of people and let them understand something that's very, very important for them to see. He's telling them that they need to see Jesus Christ in the church, that they are the body of Christ, that they're the church. And he wants them to see Christ in their individual lives because their individual lives are making up the church. And when he's finished writing about all of these things that need to go away and the things that need to be put back into their lives, he starts to instruct this church on some things that take place collectively. Now, this is really important for us to understand because the church of living God is made up of individuals, right? But it's a one body, the body of Christ. And it's really important that we see this because it's crucial to the health of the church. Let's read verse 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, y'all's hearts, you skies, youans, okay? To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you guys, right? Same thing here. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in you guys' hearts. That's what he's saying. Both of these verses have two parts to them, and they're both written to this, this collective. Did you notice the A-B part in both of these verses? And that they're written to the collective, and I want you to see this. But before you do it, we need to spend a minute and talk about what it means to be in the church. He's saying to the church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
because you were called in one body. Now I wanna go slightly out of order here because I want us to deal with this idea of what it means to be one body if you would permit me to do it because I think that helps us to understand verse 15 and 16 really, really clearly. When you think about the church, let me ask you this question. What does it mean to you? What is the church to you? What does it mean? My first memories of the church and learning about the church look something like this. This is the church. That's the steeple. Open the doors. You see all the people, right? That, that, that's my first memories of, of what you learned about at church. I, I, don't, I don't know who even taught me the song, right? The little thing that we used to do. Somewhere in preschool, somebody ingrained that in my head. But when we think about the church, we need to understand it's, it's much more than just a collection of people. We're in here this morning as a gathering of people for sure. We're certainly individuals that have walked in the door together, but it's so much more than that. It colors our thinking if we understand it correctly. And I think what's happening today in American church is many people are asking the question, does the church even matter anymore? Is there a purpose for it? Is there a place for it? Well, the Bible says that God is always going to have a group of people that are going to worship him. Start in the Old Testament. What's God doing? He's making a nation for himself. And he leads them out into this place and they build this tent. Have you read about that in Exodus? And, and they build this tabernacle, this tent that they carry around. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like a 40-year camping trip that these people are on with this tent. They're walking around and they stop and they set it up and they worship the Lord and all this stuff happens. Then in the New Testament, something different happens. There's a, a, a temple that has been built in the Old Testament that they worshiped at, a tabernacle. In the New Testament, the book of Acts records the birth of the church. And Jesus was saying something that I think is lost on us today. A lot of people say, well, the church is just man's thing. No, it's Jesus's thing. Jesus said he was going to build the church. It's his. It's not, it's not some man-made institution. Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. And he says this crazy verse about it. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've been literally to the place they call the gates of hell. If you go to Israel, you get to see that. It's this place, uh, it backs up to a cliff face. And there, people were sacrificing to all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols. And it's at that place, Jesus looks at all the hell that's taking place right there and says, this won't stand against us. It can't happen. We will literally kick the door down. That's what he's saying. The church that I'm building is going to kick the door down to hell. Now, when you think about that, it's crazy. He's saying hell can't stand up to the power of the church. It won't be able to stand the work of the church because Jesus builds the church. In verse 15, he says that believers were called into this one body. And this is the illustration that the New Testament always uses when it talks about the church. We're a body. You may remember in the Corinthian letter, Paul says, you know, you got to see yourselves as members of this one body because the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Now, if you've ever had a broken bone or something, I mean, you understand that when you're in a cast, I mean, you're functional, right? I mean, there's some things going on, but it's not great. I mean, like, okay, my legs are broken. It's, it's, that's fine. I, I mean, I've got my hands. I can still eat, you know, I, I can still talk, I can still move. Now my hands are broken. It's no big deal. Somebody else can feed me. I can still talk, right? But I'm, I mean, I'm not functioning the way I was intended to function. And so that's the illustration that it gives us is that the body of Christ 
It's beautiful when we all come together and we're serving the Lord together because somebody's the hand, somebody's the eye, somebody's the mouth, somebody's the head, somebody's the leg. And what happens is we function together. I think many people in the Christian community today believe that being a Lone Ranger Christian or out on my own is just fine. I don't need the church. Then you haven't read the Bible. Because the Bible wasn't, I I mean, I hate to say this to you, the book of Colossians wasn't written to you. It was written to us. Last night I picked up Reverend Blackburn, who is uh, our speaker tonight. And we were driving back from the airport and he said, Pastor, what are you going to be preaching on tomorrow morning? He's speaking at the gathering this morning. I hope that you'll come tonight and hear him speak. You're going to be blessed if you do as he speaks about how to make God happy. I hope you'll do that. As we were riding, he said, what are you going to be preaching on? And I was telling him about this. And he said, Pastor, Pastor, stop. Just stop. How did Jesus teach us to pray? And I said, we went in through and he gave us this model prayer. And he said, what's the first word? Our. Our. Father. Give us our daily bread. Not, hey, my father, my guy up there, big man upstairs, do what I want. I'm I'm relating to you as an individual. Our. We're going together somewhere. And so if we reduce the expectations of what it means to be a Christian down to this bare minimum that, hey, if I show up at worship and I kind of check the list, like the box, one hour this week, I'm good, man. That's not the body of Christ. that's That's not moving the kingdom forward. That's inconsistent with the great commandment that tells us to love the Lord with Uh, all our heart, our strength, our might. And if your definition of what it means to be in Christian community means that you just came and and you sat here and you listened to some music and you sang some songs and you listened to some preaching and that's good, that's fine. I think we're missing something though because everything we've been reading is in the second person plural. Even when he was telling this church, get rid of the immorality, he's saying, you guys, you can't live that way anymore. Remember, we're not preaching to the lost world about that stuff. We're preaching to us. This immorality can't be part of our lives. So let's define what a church isn't. The church isn't a gathering of people who come to sing songs and listen to a sermon. That's an assembly. We're not just an assembly. Those things take place in a worship service, but that's not the body. The church is not a building. We have a building to meet in today, but the building doesn't make us a church. Uh, The church is really God's tool to evangelize the lost world. That's why we're here. He left us with this great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I commanded you. The, The church does that. So then the church is not only God's tool for evangelism, but it's God's tool for discipling. When you come to church, you're interacting with the word of God. We're gonna get to that in just a minute. We'll see it in the scripture, how important that is. That, 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 that's the place where we're discipled. It happens here. We also see it in that, in that the, the, the church is also this gathering of worshipers. God's gonna have a group of people that worship him. Now, he had it in the past. He has it in heaven right now. And he'll have it in eternity forever. It's not going to stop. 
So when we think about it, the, the church is, is tasked with worshiping God and spirit and truth. So we lift up the name of Jesus. And, and I want to just say, it, it's so much more than singing. Singing is not the only element of worship. But as we're going to see in just a second, it is a crucial element of worship. And when you're not part of a local body, you're missing so much of your calling as a believer. So let's go back to verse 15. Let's look at these two things that it says. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts, our collective hearts. The word rule there is to be like an official on a ball field, an umpire, so to speak. The official makes sure that the rules are being taken care of, that everything is orderly. So when we talk about the peace of Christ ruling in our lives individually as we serve the Lord, it manifests itself not only in how we interact at home and whatnot, but specifically how we interact in the church. I recently talked to a pastor who literally said, I don't know what to do. I'm part of a church and I know that people literally just cooked a vote that we had. They cooked it. Is that the peace of Christ ruling? That you come and just act like a crazy person with no sense whatsoever, right? That's not the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ says, okay, we need to figure out where we're going here and we all need to go in the same direction as one body. You, you know, I, I laugh all the time you hear about this kind of stuff, but it's really true. You know, people say like, well, our church split over the color of the carpet. I'm just going to be honest with you. If the color of the carpet matters to you that much, go get a decorating degree and get a job, man. That's not why we're here. You know, it, it just doesn't matter. That, that, that has nothing to do with what we said. Did the color of the carpet save anybody? I don't think so. Disciple anybody? Maybe if you had a mosaic or something and you were able to look at it and be like, this is the store. I mean, but we, we have brown. It's just carpet. Did, did it worship the Lord? No, that's our job, right? So the peace of Christ rules in our hearts and we come together. And it doesn't mean that we always agree with everything that's going on. It doesn't mean that we always agree that well, this is what we ought to do. But what it means is that when a decision's made, we just run down the road with it, right? We're just gonna get on down the road with it. Next, he says, you're to be thankful as a body in all things the church is to be thankful. Now, this means thankful beyond the normal stuff. When I teach the grow class here at the church, one of the first things that we do when we come to prayer is we start talking about Thanksgiving. And I ask that class every time, I wanna know what you're thankful for today. And you're not allowed to say home, job, family, health, go. And it gets really quiet. Why? Because that's all we think about. Well, guess what? Lost people are thankful for that stuff too. I mean, right? I mean, I'm thankful. I am thankful I have a home. Don't get me wrong. I am thankful I have a job. I know you are too. But don't you think that we could be thankful for something beyond just this surface stuff right here? Like, could you be thankful that you've been saved ever? Could you be thankful this morning that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life? Could you be thankful that the presence of the Lord walks with you every single day? We have so much to be thankful for. And he says we're to keep being thankful. Could you be thankful that you've overcome the grave? Could you be thankful this morning that there's nothing that will ever separate you from the love of Christ? Not one thing. Could you be thankful that while you're holding on to him, he's holding tighter still to you? Could you be thankful this morning? You see, that's what he says. We're to come together and we're to keep being thankful for these things as a church. Then look at verse 16. He says, as a church, we need to let the word of Christ dwell within us. Now, it can only be within us if we interact with it 
regularly. So you need to read it at home, attend a Bible study. We read it in corporate worship so that it will dwell in our lives. And the idea of the dwelling place means that it's at home in your life. How many of you remember kind of growing up in a day and an age where there was a living room in the house? Like it's a funny room, right? It's this nice room with all the furniture you're not allowed to sit on. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> let's, let's dedicate a, a big room to furniture no one can sit on. Get the plastic out and put that stuff on there. And we only pull that out when the nice people come over. And you kids better not, I better not ever find you, right? I mean, you, right? That's not living at home. That's not dwelling. That's walking in and seeing a museum, isn't it? That's different. When, when you dwell somewhere... You're at home somewhere. When the word of Christ, the word of God dwells richly within your life, it's at home in your life. And when it's at home in your life, it does more than just act like a decoration. It leads to to this thing. And it's a funny thing. And I want you to notice it because this isn't the verse. It leads to singing. It leads to singing. Now, most of us think about singing self-consciously. We either sing or we don't based on whether or not we believe we sound good. And we think about singing in church, whether or not we like the music being played, and we think about singing as something to do if we feel like it, but rarely do we ever think about singing as it's taught from the Scripture. Listen to Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Commanded. Not optional. Commanded for us. That when we come into the presence of the Lord, we begin singing. Now, I want to remind you this morning that your abilities are adequate to make a joyful noise. The scripture often speaks about these songs being sung to the Lord. So we have to take away from that that he must love it. He commands it. He says that we're to do it. He must love it. There must be something about that that really pleases the heart of God. And for you to sit like a stump on the log... Whether you believe you have a great singing voice or not. There's something that's, that's missing here. Now, are you ready? This is where I step on toes. You're disobeying God. You're disobeying God. Now look, that, that's not comfortable to say. That's not fun. But this isn't optional for the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has said, you guys... Make sure that the word of Christ dwells richly with you, within you and then start singing. In Colossians 3, he describes three different types of songs that we sing. Psalms would have been music that are singing that was accompanied by music. Hymns were written in the New Testament. We see that in, in Paul's letter to Timothy. There's a new hymn written. It's like a doxology. Uh, if you know the doxology, I won't bother to sing it for you now. But if you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's, it's similar to that. It's the same type of thing. Spiritual songs would have been songs that had much less structure, maybe a little more spontaneous. But the point of it is, did you notice this? He said, when we worship, it's all of this. It, it's all of this wrapped into one. And I think one of the funniest things to hear us talk about is musical preference. You have one and so do I. So what? I like country and western. Right? Both. You can play any kind of music you want as long as it's country and western. Right? I mean, you have a preference. I have a preference. Can I help you with something? Your preference doesn't matter. Neither does mine. Because we sing it all. 
We, we come before the Lord and we sing it all. And I think sometimes we say things that, that we don't think through sometimes. Like, I don't really like the new songs. I like the old familiar songs that I know. That's great. But can I help you with something? When you're 80 and a 20-year-old comes along, they don't know what you were listening to in 1940. They, they don't. There's something that you don't know about them and they don't know about you, right? I mean, that's kind of part of it. That's why we said we were all going together here. Now, I remind you of this, but for us to be multi-generational as a church, it means that you're going to give up something to be here. You absolutely are. This isn't Burger King where you get it your way. It doesn't work that way. What happens is we come together and I give up something, you give up something, the collective we think is more important than the individual. At least that's what we're being taught. So we have to bring our minds to this. We, we have to kind of wrap our brains around this a little bit. So what starts to happen is we want to sing all of these things. If you're young, you need to know the hymns. They teach doctrine and theology of the church unlike maybe any other songs that we sing. If you're older and you say, well, I don't know these songs, these new songs, you need to learn them because they're passionate and filled with, with rich imagery. They're beautiful. You know, I recently had an opportunity to observe our worship service from a very different vantage point than I normally get. And, and I was surprised to see some of us unengaged as we're singing. We're just standing there. That's not worshiping, that's spectating. We, we have to engage with our hearts, our minds, our souls, because we've been commanded to sing in thankfulness. And we have this opportunity to let the the praise of our lives rise together to the Lord in a pleasing, a pleasing offering. Now, I admit that sometimes it is a, a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you come in and like I do, you don't feel great. You don't feel like singing. Something's happened this week and, and it doesn't feel like your joy maybe is where it should be. But the purpose of singing these songs becomes so important for us. Because we're learning from singing together. We're learning scriptural truths. We're learning doctrine. We can see our faith rise collectively together in a song. The music engages this other part of our brain that's different than what we get in preaching. You think about what you learned from singing. Probably the first song that you learned was how to sing the ABC song. You ever tried to learn another foreign language and they don't have an ABC song? Do you know how hard that is? Because you're not sure where all these, all these letters are going. It, it doesn't make sense. You learned it before you could write them. You, you sang them, right? Maybe you learned the 50 states and capitals by singing them. Singing engages this different part of the brain. And, and what it does is it files away the scriptural truths that we're learning. As we do that, what we're doing is getting an incredible return for the energy expense. I mean, it's crazy. God's getting praised. You're being admonished. I'm being taught. We're coming together. My faith is rising. Your faith is right. All of this is taking place all at once. And God's getting the glory. And how do we do it? From a place of thankfulness. Two years ago, the pastors of this church and the leadership of this church outlined a vision that we felt was so important for us to reach not only Nashville, Tennessee, but our calling as a church to reach the world. We call that global focus. That's our mission strategy. If you walked in this morning and noticed something was different in the lobby, it's because 
in two weeks, we'll really begin in earnest our preparations for global focus. That's our mission's emphasis, and we do it through a week we call the Global Impact Celebration. This is a shortened Global Impact Celebration, but I, I, wanna, I want you to see something that works out of this, because if we don't understand this as a church, we won't understand how we can go forward in global focus. We ask you to do three things in global focus. We ask you to give, engage, and go. Now, if, if you just do one of those things, we haven't had a successful global impact celebration. The church comes together and we start by giving. How do we give? Well, a couple of different ways. When you leave today, you'll notice that the big board is up. What's the big board? It's where we ask our mission partners, if we could buy you one thing this year for the ministry, what would that look like? We've had all kinds of crazy things. Could you buy us a mattress? Sure. Could you buy us a computer software program for our church? Could you get us a screen? Could you get us chairs? Sure. If you go to the big board and you say, as a family or a life group class, we want to jump onto something that's a little bit bigger. Those are kind of, kind of those upper end type things. But as you leave today, there'll be three tables set out there. And you'll have a boys' table, or a children's table, I'm sorry, boys and girls, a ladies' and a men's table. So our partners, we ask them, we say, hey, what do you need for yourself? And they always go, oh, you know, like, I don't really need anything. Could, could you just get something for the church? No, we're already doing that. That's the big board item. What do you need? No kidding. I will never forget one of the first times we did this and somebody opened an iron on stage and started crying. Now, what do you need in your life to be happy today? They needed an iron, right? A pair of shoes, a book for their child, a video game. You remember the year the kid wanted the horse head or that thing, whatever that was? <laughs> whatever, who cares? I mean, knock yourself out. You want a horse head? We'll get it. If you go outside and you take one of those little cards today, all of them, with the exception of a very few, will be a gift that's $50 or less. That's the first part of giving. Then we'll come in on the Sunday morning of Global Focus and we'll give to a one-day mission project. This year it's going to be the Timothy Initiative. They're one of our partners. David Nelms will be speaking. We, in partnership with the Timothy Initiative, are you ready for this? We, in partnership with them, have been a part of planting 50,000 churches around the world. 50,000, right? That's right. We're going to ask you to give on that day to plant a couple of hundred churches. And we'll tell you how that works. We're going to ask you to do that. That's our one-day offering. And then we ask you to give in support through the year to the mission ministry of Global Focus. Now, here's the point of why we come together to do this. When you read the Great Commission, how are you going to fulfill that? How are you going to go into all of the world, preach the gospel? How many people are you going to disciple this week to make sure that all the world gets that? Well, I can't do that on my own. You can't do that on your own. We can only do it when we come together as the body of Christ and move forward in this. It can't happen on our own. So I want to say this to you. If you're visiting with us, if you've been hanging around for a little while, here's the thing. As a visitor, you ought to hang around and check it out for a little while. But there kind of comes a point where there's a line in the sand that you've got to step across and join in with us or you need to join in somewhere. 
This isn't the only church in town. We're not the best. We're not the right. I mean, whatever it is, we are a church trying to fulfill the vision that we feel like God has given us while remaining true to the scripture, right? That, that's who we are. But here's the thing. When you're not with us, if you're not a member with us, well, I don't know how to minister to you. Our pastors don't know how to minister to you. Are you in? Are, are you out? I mean, where are you at with this? Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to actually be part of the body? Or are we going to have to be a church that kind of limps along because we really needed that leg to join the church, but they haven't come yet because they're kind of hanging back. You see what starts to happen here. When you come and join Judson, what starts to happen is that something we were missing gets plugged in. And we bring value added to your life because you're now part of the body. There are people ministering to you, loving you, taking care of you, feeding your soul. It becomes huge for us. And because we've had just such an unprecedented amount of brand new people, one of the things that we've done is we've moved up our Next Steps class. It was supposed to be in October. We'll have one in October. But we're going to have one September 8th. And we're trying to follow up with all of the new people that we can one of the things here, if you want to come here and hide out, this isn't the church for you. Pastors call you here. They say, we're glad you came. We're going to try to interact with you. We want to know you. And if you haven't met us yet, if you haven't met your pastors, we want to know you. We don't find it as an inconvenience. We really do want to know who you are. Make sure you introduce yourself to us today. I'll be in the lobby after this service. Other pastors, Kirk's around. Make sure you introduce yourself to us. But now let me ask you this as a church, as we close this morning. Are we really one body going forward? Are we doing what it says here? Are we letting the word of God dwell richly within us? Are we thankful in everything that we do? Are we the kind of church that sings with praise to our Father, knowing that as I'm singing, I'm encouraging the person next to me, the person in front of me. We're singing together. We're admonishing one another. We're learning from one another, and God's getting the glory. Is that who we are, a church that's going together? Or are we kind of seeing ourselves as, that's kind of where I go. But I'm not serving, I'm not in. Listen, that won't help us fulfill the Great Commission. We need to go together. This is an opportunity for us to push forward together. Get rid of the junk in your life. Replace it with the good stuff of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and, and move forward. It's a question for us. So I want you to, to do something for me. I want you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. As we respond this morning, would you just do a quick inventory check? Has the old stuff been replaced with the new stuff? And are you part of the body here? Heavenly Father, we want to take the words that we've read this morning and make them true of this body. We pray for the universal church around the world and we're grateful to be part of that number of people who have been saved and called out, Lord. But today we ask this. Would you unify this body and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts so that we can go forward with the vision that you've called us to? God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.